uh, Romans chapter 1. I'm, I'm going to read these first six verses, or first five and a half verses, but we'll spend our time this morning just on verse 1, and it, it won't be that way for the rest of the book of Romans, but it is by way of introduction. The Apostle Paul. Uh, I have many funny stories about the seminary. Maybe my favorite could be about the Apostle Paul. There was a there was a class and uh, the professor said something about Paul and one of the students put his hand up and said who's Paul and he's in seminary right who's Paul he should know who Paul is you're a seminary student you're going to be a minister who's Paul he put his hand up who's Paul and the whole class laughed at him well he took offense to that and he stood up and he goes you know what guys I can rebuild a 57 Chevy and next week I'll know who Paul is (laughs) <laughs> who is Paul he is the writer of Romans uh, Romans 1 to 6 this is the word of God please stand if you are able Paul a servant of Christ Jesus called to be an apostle set apart for the gospel of God which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who were called to belong to Jesus Christ. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God will stand forever. You may be seated. You realize this is just part of his first sentence. Paul is notorious. English teachers would have just given him bad marks. Uh, He is notorious for these long string string out sentences. Uh, And so we're going to just take uh, this first part just just verse one this morning and i want you uh, as we did last week when we looked at psalm 51 there was a sense of psalm 51 grows in its depth to us when we know the story behind it when we know who david is when we know what he had done when we know the occasion of it we have to take some time as we start the study on romans to understand who this apostle is this apostle paul for us to Imagine that our church would exist in a state like Rome where you could be killed um, for your faith. Uh, for us to hear stories of who this person was, uh, who, who, who abused Christians, um, who, who, who oversaw the stoning and the death of Stephen. Uh, to now, now he's supposedly a part of us and he's, he's, he's writing a letter to us. What would we want to know um, about this person? Well, we know a lot about him, actually. We know that he was a Pharisee. We know that he was a, a Roman citizen. And maybe most importantly, we know what he was saved from. So Paul, as a Pharisee, was saved from a very strict religious community. The Judaism of those who failed to recognize Christ Jesus as Lord. Those who would look at the Old Testament and even add to the laws of the Old Testament and would live such a strict life um, that that the law of the Bible wasn't enough. They had to go and make it even tougher 
uh, if, if the speed limit was 55, a Pharisee would set his cruise control at 50, but also watch going downhill. It was that type of uh, response to the law of God. So that's who he was. That's where he came from. We read about him in Acts chapter 7. It's where we first hear about him. But at that time, his name is Saul. So in Acts chapter 7, verse 58, uh, Stephen, one of the first deacons, one of the seven, so one of the first ordained deacons in the New Testament church, is taken out and he, has, he is stoned. And, and it is a beautiful death for Stephen. As Stephen is stoned, he is the one who looks to heaven and he says, I see the Son of Man. He, as the courtroom on earth has judged him as a heretic, as he is being stoned for his beliefs, he, he has this vision of Christ and where he is going and he knows that he is going into glory. And he forgives those who are throwing rocks at him in order to kill him. He forgives them in the midst of all of that. And our text says in verse 58, Then they cast him out of the city. This is Stephen. They stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. So Saul is there encouraging the murder of one of God's saints. Now, I'm telling you, doesn't that sound familiar to last week? David writes Psalm 51 after he has murdered Uriah the Hittite. You know what I love about it? It's the beauty of our scriptures. It's, again, another reason to believe it. It doesn't make men and women out as these super saints that never sin. In every aspect, it's always pointing to the wonder and the amazement of God who will use people like them, who will use people like you and me to present his gospel. So that's where we hear about him. And so um, Saul is very zealous about stopping the spread of Christianity. It's one of God's comedic things again. Saul is like, I'm doing everything in my power to stop this movement. And it, again, another reason why I believe in an absolute sovereign God that he laughs at us at times when we think we have control over things. He laughs at us. And so in Acts chapter 9, uh, we read, Saul was breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. And he went to the high priest and he asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any that were belonging to the way, that's what Christianity was called at first, the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. What a beautiful, what a beautiful conversion. I am going to kill Christians. I'm going to tear families apart. And a light from heaven shines upon him. Verse 4, falling to the ground, he hears a voice, and it says to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. So Saul is uh, confronted by the risen Christ on his way to murder Christ's followers. Uh, the text goes on to say that he, he then went off into the desert for about three years. And um, we're not sure what happened in those three years. Many people think that he was actually discipled by Jesus himself, the risen Christ, for those three years. Uh, it has a lot to do with him taking this title that we're going to talk about in a moment. But um, 
after that, his name then is Paul. And so um, Saul, which is interesting, Saul, the name Saul means prayed for, uh, named after King Saul, the first king of Israel, someone who was prayed for, that they sought for, right? They wanted a king. Unfortunately, he was a big letdown, but they wanted a king. He gets his name changed to Paul. You know what Paul means? Small, humble. And it fits his calling. Small, humble. In 1991, much to my disappointment, Chris Jackson, who was uh, drafted in the NBA, I think he was the third pick overall, Chris Jackson from LSU, good old Mississippi boy, probably grew up singing some of those hymns. Chris Jackson changed his name to Mohammed Abdul Rauf. I know that because we were living in Colorado at that time, and when we would go to Nuggets games and he would score, the songs would come up and it would say, Rauf, there it is, Rauf, there it is. He changed his name. Why do you think he changed his name? I mean, I think most of us here know what, 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 what came about if you go from Chris Jackson to Muhammad Abdul Rauf. I don't even think you need to look on Wikipedia to know what happened, right? There was a conversion of him. He changed what he believed concerning God Almighty, and he changed his religious beliefs, and he moved from a gospel of grace into Islam. And it necessitated a change of name. Now, we see this in the Bible all over the place, don't we? Abram becomes Abraham. Sarai becomes Sarah. Jacob becomes Israel. Right? These names are changed as a result of an experience. You know, we see it in our society today. And it's a, it involves the same thing. It's about identity, isn't it? Young lady decides she doesn't feel like she's a girl. It's not enough for her to say, I don't feel like I'm a girl. I, I, I feel like I'm a boy, and I want you to change my name. I want you to start calling me George. Because that fits with the identity that I hold on into myself. And we wonder why. Right? And we, 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 we don't know. We, we struggle with trying to figure it out. But identity is so central to who we are. Identity is so vital to how we operate. It's what we defend. It's what we promote. It's what we wonder people say about us. I heard a lot about you. Oh, no. Or I've heard a lot about you. I hope it's good. Isn't that what we say? I hope it's good. Uh, how do you explain a person? How do you explain yourself, identity? And so as we start Romans, he is going to talk about all of that. It is not something new for us. Not some new thing that the scriptures have not prepared us for. Not some new temptation. Or we might see it more clearly, but it's been around a long time. And that is for a human being to define its identity outside of that human being's relationship to God Almighty. For a Christian, everything about our identity is defined by the relationship we have to God Almighty. That's how our scripture starts in such beautiful simplicity. The highest of all creation. Theologians call it the council of the Godhead. As God looks over and says, I'm gonna, we're going to create man, male and female, we're going to create them. In our own image, we are going to create them. We're going to breathe a living soul 
into them. Our identity is tied absolutely to the relationship we have with, with God. And so in verse 1, we read Paul. Now, um, this is common in letters that are written. Paul, the apostle, wrote 13 of the 27 books in the New Testament. Very important figure for us to know and understand and have background upon. Paul says, here's how I'm going to introduce myself. And, and letters in the ancient Near East were addressed this way. Our letters are, dear uh, so-and-so, and then we write, 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 and at the end we're like, love and kisses uh, your rev, right? That's, that's what we, we write. Here it's the introduction of who they are. And it makes sense, doesn't it? Um, this book of Romans is the, the, the absolute uh, complete treatise on the gospel. Uh, what it is, how it answers all different objections, um, and, and how, it, when we receive it, how we live. Uh, it, it's such a beautifully complete work. And Paul is writing it from Corinth, and he's writing it to a church he hasn't visited. He didn't plant. Most likely some of those that were converted through his teaching, or Peter's, um, on the day of Pentecost, some of them had, had gone out, and so he knew some people there, but it was not a church he had planted. And so at the outset, um, he is setting who he is, his identity as this apostle, and why that is important for them to follow what he says. So this is how Paul, the apostle, introduces himself. A servant of Christ, called to be an apostle, and set apart for the gospel. The sermon in the sentence this morning is that since personal identity has such a huge influence on us, we must look to our relationship to God for answers. Uh, our college kids that started this week, I encourage them to not automatically believe what is taught. If it says PhD after their name, it doesn't mean that they know everything. Many PhDs have made humongous errors. PhDs have failed in basic conversion from inches to the metric system and caused loss of life. Uh, don't just trust. Paul is saying, here's who I am, and here's why you should listen to this gospel. It is not mine, as he says in Galatians. It was given to me by God. I didn't learn it. I, was re I received it. Paul is a servant. So that's the first thing. I am defined by my master. We are defined by our master. Whatever has mastery over us, whatever has uh, direct and most influence over us is part of who we are. Paul says, I am a happy, I am glad to be a slave to Jesus Christ. He owns me. I belong to him. Now think about what we read in Acts. What, it, what, what was Paul's first encounter with Christ? The very first encounter with Christ, he says to him, you're persecuting me. And those of you who know me know that that was the verse that my dad wanted for his funeral. He loved that verse. As his mind went and I would visit him, he would say, you know the most amazing verse in Scripture, Marky boy? Oh, Marky boy, let me tell you, this is the most amazing verse in Scripture. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Oh, Marky boy, our, our Savior loves us so much. Whatever an enemy does to us, he feels it personally. That's how close he is to his people. Every time I visit him for the last three years, that same passage. It must have been impressed into Saul. 
Now I belong to him. He feels my pain. Paul would face all sorts of abuse, being beaten and left for dead, escaping out of a window, being rejected by the brothers in certain places. <laughs> the guilt of what he'd done in his previous life. Um, I am a servant of Christ. I'm totally devoted to Jesus. I am at his complete and utter disposal. He says, jump, I say, how high? That's my relationship to Jesus. When I graduated from seminary, I had an agenda, and I wanted God to sign it. I've done my coursework. I've done this. I've given up this. Here's where I want to go. Here's the type of church I want to uh, pastor, and I want to do it in this city. And he sent me to the last place I wanted to go. That's not Grove, by the way. Let's see. When, when I told people we were going to plant in Los Angeles, they just laughed. They're like, well, how is a redneck going to plant a church in Los Angeles? Paul says, uh, I'm devoted to him. Uh, and, and thirdly, it's a significant title. Okay? It, it's not just groveling. It has uh, a lot of historic underpinnings that give credence to his message. For instance, Moses God refers to Moses, Moses, my servant, he says to Joshua. Moses, my servant, is dead, and you'll lead the people. Uh, Elijah, Nehemiah, Joshua, David, they're frequently called the Lord's servant. Um, and so that's the first part. Paul says, I, I am defined by my relationship with my master, and my master is Christ Jesus. And so uh, for us, we ask ourselves, who is my master? Who do I serve? And maybe who do I expect the pastor to serve? You know, in our neighborhood, there's a cat called Bubbles, and we love Bubbles. Uh, I love Bubbles because I, I get to see Bubbles almost every day if I'm in the backyard, and I don't have to feed Bubbles or change a litter box, and Bubbles comes by and uh, eats the uh, moles and whatever else is there, and if Bubbles feels like it, Bubbles will come up and then roll over. And Bubba's like, you know, here I am. Better get me while, you, you know, while you've got a chance. You know how cats think, right? Uh, I feel like being scratched today. Some days it's like, hi, Bubbles. And Bubbles, you know, nope, 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 nope. I wanted to do it. I, I, I don't, I don't, you know. But he's made it clear that the relationship I have with Bubbles is I serve Bubbles. <laughs> At Bubbles' good pleasure. And when I get that opportunity, like the other day it came by, and I think Madison and Tammy were home, and like, Bubbles is here, and they just leave whatever they're doing. You know, they just, they, they run out the door, like, Jesus has returned. You know, no, no, it's just a dumb cat, you know, but, but we feel so blessed. Paul is saying that. I have this master, and I will drop whatever I'm doing. And more than being a Pharisee, more than being trained by a Gam Gam Gamaliel, more than all of those things, I find my identity and my worth and my comfort in my master. Now, I'm telling you that we have lost that as an evangelical church. And well-intentioned evangelical believers and Christians promote God as he, he, he serves us. If you do right, 
Uh, and, and that's really, it's a, it's a pagan notion of how we worshiped idols. We sacrifice, we give, we obey, and then the idol is obligated to give us what we want. And that's crept into evangelicalism. If we do right, God is obligated to. Um, he says, I am a servant of Christ. And believer, you must ask yourself, is that how you view the relationship with God? Are you his servant? Is your worship of him fickle? When things are playing out right, when he is doing what you expect him to do as God, then I'm, then I'm willing to worship, then I'm willing to commit myself. Or is it more, he is my master, and so if he tells me to jump, it's good, it's right, it's what I'm made to do. Secondly, he says, I'm a servant of Christ, uh, but I'm also called to be an apostle. And so he's defined by his master, and then part of who he is as a person is defined by his office or his calling or his job. Uh, two words here, this word called um, has, has a better, kind of a better sense is I, I'm, I'm chosen. Uh, I was set apart for this. Um, and again, it's beautiful that we have the story of his conversion, right? He, it was not something he worked towards. It was not something he earned in any way. It was God graciously saying, I am going to take the poster boy for Judaism. I'm going to take the poster boy, the one that's the rising and shining star. He's not the third round pick. He's the first round pick. I'm going to take this person and I'm going to humble him and I'm going to make him my servant. And I will do this amazing, powerful work at, at, at the right time. And so Paul says that I was, I was called. I was, I was chosen for this office. I neither designated myself or was designated by men to this office, but I was chosen for it directly by God. And so some of you who know me know that I, I, I don't like it when we use the term apostle today uh, because the, the term apostle in the New Testament was those who have, were designated and called by Jesus himself were firsthand eyewitnesses of him. And it was super important because when they presented the gospel, they presented it in an authoritative way before the canon of Scripture was written down as eyewitnesses. So when you read John's first letter, 1 John 1, what does he say? He says, that which we have seen, which our eyes have seen, which our hands have touched, he says, that is what we present to you. We were there. We saw him eat. We were with him. And so um, Paul says, I have been called to be an apostle. And so, according to Scripture, there are no living apostles today, folks. That term, it does get used loosely. If you've seen the movie, The Apostle, I've probably mentioned it before. I think it's a, an, an amazing movie. Uh, I think Robert Duvall does an amazing job. And there's a scene in there where he goes into the river and he baptizes himself. And he baptizes himself and he changes his name to The Apostle EF. We don't have that happen in the New Testament. We don't have that happen in church history. We don't have people deciding one day, I have been all on my own uh, called as an apostle. We have preachers, evangelists, teachers, presbyters, elders, all, all of that. But um, for Paul, um, he says, this is, this is a huge part of who I am. Uh, I, I have my master, and my master then has called and chosen me to be an apostle. In Luke 6, we, we read about that, 6.13. When the day came, Jesus called from his disciples and chose, it's that same word Paul uses here, chose from them 12 
whom he named apostles. As um, Charles Hodge writes in his commentary, to be an apostle, therefore, it was necessary to have seen the Christ after his resurrection, to have knowledge of his life and doctrines derived immediately from Jesus. Without this, no man could be a witness. He would only report what he had heard from others. Clayton, is that called hearsay? Right? We're all hearsay. We heard from someone who told us something about something, right? So it was important that we had apostles that had firsthand experience until the canon of Scripture was closed. He could bear no independent testimony to what he himself had seen and heard. Um, so Paul's words carry the authority of Jesus, and he expects it. Not on his own. Not on his own. Not because of his training, but because of his calling. Thirdly, Paul says, then I'm also been set apart for the gospel. And the rest of the book of Romans is going to define that term, the gospel. But he says, I'm defined by that. Uh, my master, my calling, my office, and I've set apart. Again, it might be a better way to say I have been um, separated for the gospel. Because Paul sees it as that. The Christianity is not just a version of Judaism. It, it, it's not um, God's relationship with humanity, uh, part B. It is, it, is, it's, it is a separate religion. And, and he says, I, I have been separated from that to the gospel. Um, he writes in Galatians 1, When he who had set me apart before I was born, he's explaining to them, excuse me, He's explaining to them uh, his calling and he's defending his apostleship to the church in Galatia. When he who had set me apart before I was born, the sovereign God saying, uh, Paul, you were mine before you were born and, and I waited to the exact moment to call you to be mine. I endured the hostility you had against my church because it served the purpose of the gospel. When he who had set me apart before I was born and he called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me. So he says, I see the son in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. He goes on to say, I didn't consult anyone. I didn't get my gospel from anyone else. I was given it by God. So he is a servant called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel. When we went through church planning assessment, Tammy and I had to come up with a... a uh, <laughs> a personal purpose statement. Uh, so those of you who own businesses um, have probably are familiar with that, right? Here's our, here's our mission statement. Here's why we exist. Here's why we exist. Um, we had to do that, and it was, it was wonderful. It was, just a, it was a great process to think, okay, why does Mark Kuyper exist? Why does Tammy Kuyper exist? What is my purpose? What have I been called to do and to be set apart for the gospel so as we go through Romans we're reading an epistle we are studying an epistle that is all about our God how he acted in history how he brings salvation and glory to himself how God's justice is preserved how God's purposes are worked out in history oh it's going to be so great We'll have a bigger picture 
In some moments, I really do. I hope that, that the facade of the earth and, and, and what we see is, is removed and we see ourselves in this big, giant story. Uh, we'll see how God is going to be served by his own people. And we will have a complete presentation of the gospel and all of its fruits. Now, I have a nephew whose middle name was after me, Titus Mark Kuiper. When he was little, he used to say, my name is Titus Uncle Mark Kuiper. (laughs) (laughs) I have a dog named after me that was so ugly. I was offended. They're like, we saw this puppy and it looked like Kuiper. So we called this dog Kuiper and it was an idiot. It was the worst. I've had a piece of packaging wood that was called a Kuiper. Um, I've had someone change their name, the middle name, to Kuiper. I was honored by that. When I was a kid, we were told that the Kuiper name meant something. Dad was a visiting preacher. And all five of us would be lined up in what we called our Sunday shoes and our best clothing. So uncomfortable. Sit up front with our mom, laugh at every one of Dad's jokes, even though we'd heard it 25 times. And we were told, remember, you're a Kuiper. Remember the Kuiper name. When I was 16, Dad took all of us. Uh, well, my two sisters were gone, so he took the, the last three of us. And he sat us down one day in their bedroom and he said, uh, it was the boys, all three of us, like, sons, we've done something terrible to you in raising you. We have told you that the Kuiper name means something. We've told you as we've gone to places, remember the Kuiper name. It's awful that we told you that. The Kuiper name means nothing. You carry the name of Christ. He's called you to be his. He's given his life to secure a place for you in the Father's gaze where you will be rejoiced over. The Kuiper name means nothing. Oh, Christian, as we delve into issues of identity, as we live in a world where we are most likely going to be called hateful bigots because we don't recognize an identity. And I know last week I made a a joke about it, and I apologize for that. We are not to be insensitive about it, but we're not to give in. We have this beautiful gift. Today you are mine, he says. You belong to me. Your name has been changed. It has been written. Your identity is wrapped up in the Savior. Your name is Christian. It's beautiful. It is enough. Let us do so. Let us remind ourselves who we listen to and who speaks those truths. Let us remind us of the time when we are tempted to find identity out and beyond what God has called us and given us. Let's now prepare our hearts for communion. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this apostle. And once again, Lord, we thank you that there is no excuse for any of us. If you, O Father, take a man who is so self-righteous, who would have been the worst person ever to have an argument with because he was better and smarter than all of us, and you took him and you broke him, 
and then you nurtured him and he became one of those who he had persecuted and he suffered and when he was in stocks he sang praises to your name for his new identity granted him salvation full and complete and for eternity his office gave him such hope and purpose in life oh father we pray that you would do such a work with us a name-changing work we would no longer see ourselves defined by what we have produced what people think what we have gained but as a child of God we ask this in Jesus name for his sake Amen